0: An Imperfect Reading of Fratelli Tutti Chapter 1. Dark Clouds Over a Closed World Without claiming to carry out an exhaustive analysis or to study every aspect of our present-day experience, I intend simply to consider certain trends in our world that hinder the development of universal fraternity. Shattered Dreams For decades, it seemed that the world had learned a lesson from its many wars and disasters and was slowly moving towards various forms of integration, For example, there was the dream of a united Europe, capable of acknowledging its shared roots and enjoying its rich diversity. We think of the firm conviction of the founders of the European Union, who envisioned a future based on the capacity to work together, in bridging divisions and in fostering peace and fellowship between all the peoples of this continent. There was also a growing desire for integration in Latin America, and several steps were taken in that direction. In some countries and regions, attempts at reconciliation and reproachment proved fruitful, while others showed great promise. Our own days, however, seem to be showing signs of a certain regression. Ancient conflicts long, thought long buried are breaking out anew, while instances of a myopic, extremist, resentful, and aggressive nationalism are on the rise. In some countries, a concept of popular and national unity influenced by various ideologies is creating new forms of selfishness and a loss of the social sense under the guise of defending national interests. Once more, we we are being reminded that each new generation must take up the struggles and attainments of past generations while setting its sights even higher. This is the path. Goodness, together with love, justice, and solidarity are not achieved once and for all. They have to be realized each day. It is not possible to settle for what was achieved in the past and complacently enjoy it, as if we could somehow disregard the fact that many of our brothers and sisters still endure situations that cry out for our attention. Opening up to the world is an expression that has been co-opted by the economic and financial sector and is now used exclusively of openness to foreign interests or to the freedom of economic powers to invest without obstacles or complications in all countries. Local conflicts and disregard for the common good are exploited by the, by the global economy in order to impose a single cultural model. This culture unifies the world, but divides persons and nations, for as society becomes ever more globalized, it makes us neighbors, but does not make us brothers. We are more alone than ever, in an increasingly massified world that promotes individual interests and weakens the communitarian dimensions of life. Indeed, there are markets where individuals become our, become mere consumers or bystanders. As a rule, the advance of this kind of globalism strengthens the identity of the more powerful, who can protect themselves, but it tends to diminish the identity of the weaker and poorer regions, making them more vulnerable and dependent. In this way, political life becomes increasingly fragile in the face of transnational economic powers that operate with the principle of divide and conquer. The end of historical consciousness. As a result, there's a growing loss of, sen- a growing loss of the sense of history, which leads to even further breakup, a kind of deconstructionism whereby human freedom claims to create everything starting from zero is making headway in today's culture. The one thing it leaves in its wake is the drive to limitless consumption and expressions of empty individualism. Concern about this led me to offer the young some advice. If someone tells young people to ignore their history, to reject the experiences of of their elders, to look down on the past and to look forward to a future that he himself holds out, doesn't it then become easy to draw them along so that they only do what he tells them? He needs the young to be shallow uprooted, and distrustful, so that they can trust only in his promises and act according to his plans. That is how various ideologies operate. They destroy or deconstruct all differences so they can reign unopposed. To do so, however, they need young people who have no use for history, who spurn the spiritual and human riches inherited from past generations and are ignorant of everything that came before them. These are the new forms of cultural colonization. Let us not forget that peoples that abandon their tradition and either from a craze to mimic others or to foment violence or from unpardonable negligence or apathy allow others to rob their very soul end up losing not only their spiritual identity but their moral consistency and in the end their intellectual, economic, and political independence. One effective way to weaken historical consciousness critical thinking, the struggle for justice, and the process processes of integration is to empty great words of their meaning, or to manipulate them. Nowadays, what do certain words like democracy, freedom, justice, or unity really mean? They have been bent and shaped to serve as tools for domination, as meaningless tags that can be used to justify any action. A plan lacking a plan for everyone. The best way to dominate and gain control over people is to spread despair and discouragement, even under the guise of defending certain values. Today, in many countries, hyperbole, extremism, and polarization have become political tools. Employing a strategy of ridicule, suspicion, and relentless criticism in a variety of ways, one denies the right of others to exist or to have an opinion. Their share of the truth and their values are rejected and, as a result, the life of society is impoverished and subjected to the hubris of the powerful. Political life no longer has to do with healthy debates about long term plans to improve people's lives and advance the common good, but only with slick marketing techniques, primarily aimed at discrediting others. In this craven exchange of charges and countercharges, debate degenerates into a permanent state of disagreement and confrontation. Amid the fray of conflicting interests, where victory consists of eliminating one's opponents, how is it possible to raise our sights, to recognize our neighbors, or to help those who have fallen along the way? A plan that would set great goals for the development of our entire human family nowadays sounds like madness. We are growing ever more distant from one another, while the slow and demanding march towards an increasingly united and just world is suffering a new and dramatic setback. To care for the world in which we live means to care for ourselves, yet we need to think of ourselves more and more as a single family dwelling in a common home. Such care does not interest those economic powers that demand quick profits. Often the voices raised in defense of the environment are silenced or ridiculed, using apparently reasonable arguments that are merely a screen for special interests. In this shallow, short-sighted culture that we have created, bereft of a shared vision, It is foreseeable that once certain resources have been depleted, the scene will be set for new wars, albeit under the guise of noble claims. A throwaway world. Some parts of our human family, it appears, can be readily sacrificed for the sake of others considered worthy of a carefree existence. Ultimately, persons are no longer seen as a paramount value to be cared for and respected, especially when they are poor and disabled not yet useful like the unborn or no longer needed like the elderly we have grown indifferent to all kinds of wastefulness starting with the waste of food which is deplorable in the extreme a decline in the birth rate which leads to the aging which leads to the aging of the population together with the re- relegation of the elderly to a sad and lonely existence is a subtle way of stating that it is all about us that our individual individual concerns are the only thing that matters. In this way, what is thrown away are not only food and dispensable objects, but often human beings themselves. We have seen what happened with the elderly in certain places in our world as a result of the coronavirus. They did not have to die that way. Yet something similar had long been occurring during heat waves and in other situations. Older people found themselves cruelly abandoned. We fail to realize that, by isolating the elderly and leaving them in the care of others without the closeness and concern of family members, we disfigure and impoverish the family itself. We also end up depriving young people of a necessary connection to their roots, and a wisdom that the young cannot achieve on their own. This way of discarding others can take a variety of forms, such as the obsession with reducing labor costs with, it, with no concern for its grave consequences since the unemployment that it directly generates leads to the expansion of poverty. In addition, a readiness to discard others finds expression in vicious attitudes that we thought long past, such as racism, which retreats underground only to keep re-emerging. Instances of racism continue to shame us, for they show us our supposed social progress not as real or definitive as we think. Some economic rules have provided effective for growth, but not for integral human development. Wealth has increased, but together with inequality, with the result that new forms of poverty are emerging. The claim that the modern world has reduced poverty is made by measuring poverty with criteria from the past that do not correspond to present-day realities. In other times, for example, lack of access to electric energy was not considered a sign of poverty, nor was it a sign of heart source of hardship poverty must always be understood engaged in the context of actual opportunities available in each concrete historical period insufficiently universal human rights it infrequently becomes clear it frequently becomes clear that in practice human rights are not equal for all respect for those rights is the preliminary condition for a country's social and economic development When the dignity of the human person is respected and his or her rights recognized and guaranteed, creativity and interdependence thrive, and the creativity of the human personality is released through actions that further the common good. Yet, by closely observing our contemporary societies, we see numerous contradictions that lead us to wonder whether the equal dignity of all human beings solemnly proclaimed 70 years ago is truly recognized, respected, and protected and promoted in every situation. In today's world, many forms of injustice persist, fed by the reductive anthropological visions and by a profit-based economic model that does not hesitate to exploit, discard, and even kill human beings. While one part of humanity lives in opulence, another part sees its own dignity denied, scorned, trampled upon, and its fundamental rights discarded or violated. What does this tell us about the equality of rights grounded grounded in innate human dignity? Similarly, the organization of societies worldwide is still far from reflecting clearly that women possess the same dignity and identical rights as men. We say one thing with words, but our decisions and reality tell another story. Indeed, doubly poor are those women who endure situations of exclusion, mistreatment, and violence since they are infrequently, they are frequently less able to defend their rights. Frequently less able to defend their rights. We should also recognize that even though the international community has adopted numerous agreements aimed at ending slavery in all its forms, and has launched various strategies to combat this phenomenon, millions of people today, children, women, and men of all ages, are deprived of freedom and forced to live in conditions akin to slavery. Today, as in the past, slavery is rooted in a notion of the human person that allows him or her to be treated as an object. Whether by coercion or deception, or by physical or psychological duress, human persons created in the image and likeness of God are deprived of their freedom, sold and reduced to being the property of others. They are treated as means to an end. Criminal networks are skilled in using modern means of communication as a way of luring young men and women in various parts of the world. A perversion that exceeds all limits when it subjugates women and then forces them to abort. An abomination that goes to the length of kidnapping persons for the sake of selling their organs. Trafficking in persons and other contemporary forms of enslavement are a worldwide problem that needs to be taken seriously by humanity as a whole, since criminal organizations employ global networks to achieve their goals, Efforts to eliminate this phenomenon also demand a common and indeed a global effort on the part of various sectors of society. Conflict and Fear War, terrorist attacks, racial or religious persecution, and many other affronts to human dignity are judged differently depending on how convenient it proves for certain primary economic interests. Primarily economic interests. What is true as long as it is convenient for someone in power stops being true once it becomes inconvenient. These situations of violence, sad to say, have become so common as to constitute a real third world war fought piecemeal. This should not be surprising if we realize that we no longer have common horizons that unite us. Indeed, the first victim of every war is the human family's innate vocation to fraternity as a result. Every threatening situation breeds mistrust and leads people to withdraw into their own safety zone. Our world is trapped in a strange contradiction. We believe that we can ensure stability and peace through a false sense of security, sustained by a mentality of fear and mistrust. Paradoxically, we have certain ancestral fears that technological development has not succeeded in eliminating. Indeed, those fears have been able to hide and spread behind new technologies. Today, too... Outside the ancient town walls lies the abyss, the territory of the unknown, the wilderness. Whatever comes from there cannot be trusted, for it is unknown, unfamiliar, not part of the village. It is the territory of the barbarian, from whom we must defend ourselves at all costs. As a result, new walls are erected for self-preservation. The outside world ceases to exist and leaves only my world, to the point that others, no longer considered human beings, possessed of an inalienable dignity become only them. Once more, we encounter the temptation to build a culture of walls, to raise walls, walls in the heart, walls on the land, in order to prevent this encounter with other cultures, with other people, and with those who raise walls. And those who raise walls will end up as slaves within the very walls they have built. They are left without horizons, for they lack this interchange with others. The loneliness, fear, and insecurity experienced by those who feel abandoned by the system creates a fertile terrain for various mafias. These flourish because they claim to be defenders of the forgotten, often by providing various forms of assistance, even as they pursue their criminal interests. There also exists a typically mafioso pedagogy that, by appealing to a false communitarian mystique, creates bonds of dependency and fealty from which it is very difficult to break free. Globalization and Progress Without a Shared Roadmap With the Grand Imam Ahmad al tayyeb we do not ignore the positive advances made in the areas of science, technology, medicine, and industry, and welfare, above all in developed countries. Nonetheless, we wish to emphasize that, together with these historical advances, great and valued as they are, there exists a moral deterioration that influences international action and a weakening of spiritual values and responsibility. This contributes to a general feeling of frustration, isolation, and desperation. We see outbreaks of tension and the buildup of arms and ammunition, ammunition in a global context dominated by uncertainty, disillusionment, fear of the future, and controlled by narrow economic interests. We can also point to major political crises, situations of injustice, and the lack of an equitable distribution of natural resources. In the face of such crises that result in the deaths of millions of children, emaciated from poverty and hunger, there is an unacceptable silence on the international level. This panorama, for all its undeniable advances, does not appear to lead to a more humane future. In today's world, the sense of belonging to a single human family is fading, and the dream of working together for justice and peace seems an outdated utopia. What reigns instead is a cool, comfortable, and globalized indifference, born of deep disillusionment, concealed behind a deceptive illusion, thinking that we are all powerful, while failing to realize that we are all in the same boat. This illusion, unmindful of the great fraternal fraternal values, leads to a sort of cynicism, for that is the temptation we face if we go down the road of disenchantment and disappointment. Isolation and withdrawal into one's own interests are never the way to restore hope and bring about renewal. Rather, it is closeness, it is the culture of encounter. Isolation, no. Closeness, yes. Culture, class, clash, no. Culture of encounter, yes. In this world that races ahead, it lacks a shared roadmap. We increasingly sense that the gap between concern for one's personal well-being and the prosperity of the larger human family seems to be stretching to the point of complete division between individuals and human community. It is one thing to feel forced to live together, but something entirely different to value the richness and beauty of those seeds in common life that need to be sought out and cultivated. Technology is constantly advancing. Yet how wonderful it would be if the growth of scientific and technological innovation could come with more equality and social inclusion. How wonderful it would be, even as we discover faraway planets, to rediscover the needs of the brothers and sisters who orbit around us. Pandemics and other calamities in history. True, a worldwide tragedy like the COVID-19 pandemic momentarily revived the sense that we are a global community, all in the same boat, where one person's problems are the problems of all. Once more, we realize that no one is saved alone. We can only be saved together. As I said in those days, the storm has exposed our vulnerability and uncovered those false and superfluous certainties around which we constructed our daily schedules, our projects, our habits, and priorities. Amid this storm, the facade of those stereotypes with which we camouflaged our egos, always worrying about appearances, has fallen away revealing once more the ineluc- ineluctable and blessed awareness that we are a part of one another, that we are brothers and sisters of one another. The world was relentlessly moving towards an economy that, thanks to technological progress, sought to reduce human costs. There were those who would have had us believe that freedom of the market was sufficient to keep everything secure. Yet the brutal and unforen, unforeseen blow of this uncontrolled pandemic forced us to recover our concern for human beings, for everyone, rather than for the benefit of a few. Today we can recognize that we fed ourselves on dreams of splendor, splendor and grandeur and ended up consuming distraction insularity, and, and solitude. We gorged ourselves on networking and lost the taste of fraternity. We looked for quick and safe results, only to find ourselves overwhelmed by impatience and anxiety, prisoners of a virtual reality. We lost the taste and flavor of the truly real. The pain, uncertainty, and fear, and the realization of our own limitations brought on by the pandemic have only made it all the more urgent that we rethink our styles of life, our relationships, the organization of our societies, and, above all, the meaning of our existence. If everything is connected, it is hard to imagine that this global disaster is unrelated to our way of approaching reality, our claim to be absolute masters of our own lives and of all that exists. I do not want to speak of divine retribution, nor would it be sufficient to say that the harm we do to nature is itself the punishment for our offenses. The world is itself crying out in rebellion. We are reminded of the well-known verse of the poet Virgil that evokes the tears of things, the misfortunes of life and history. All too quickly, however, we forget the lessons of history, the teacher of life. Once this health crisis passes, our worst response would be to plunge even more deeply into feverish consumerism and new forms of egotistic self-preservation. God willing, after all this, we will think no longer in terms of them and those, but only us. If only this may prove not to be just another tragedy of history from which we learned nothing. If only we might keep in mind all those elderly persons who died for lack of respirators, partly as a result of the dismantling, year after year, of health care systems. If only this immense sorrow may not prove useless, but enable us to take a step forwards, to take a step towards a new style of life. If only we might rediscover once and for all that we need one another, and that in this way, our human family can experience a rebirth with all its faces, all its hands, and all its voices beyond the walls that we have erected. Unless we recover the shared passion to, re- to create a community of belonging and solidarity worthy of our time, our energy, and our resources, the global illusion that misled us will collapse and leave many in the grip of anguish and emptiness. Nor should we naively refuse to recognize that the obsession with a consumerist lifestyle, above all when few people are capable of maintaining it, can only lead to violence and mutual destruction. The notion of every man for himself will rapidly degenerate into a free-for-all that would prove worse than any pandemic. An absence of human dignity on the borders. Certain populist political regimes, as well as certain liberal economic approaches, maintain that an influx of migrants is to be prevented at all costs. Arguments are also made for the propriety of limiting aid to poor countries so that they can hit rock bottom and find themselves forced to take austerity measures. One fails to realize that behind such statements, abstract and hard to support, great numbers of lives are at stake. Many migrants have fled from war persecution, and natural catastrophes. Others, rightly, are seeking opportunities for themselves and their families. They dream of a better future, and they want to create conditions for achieving it. Sadly, some are attracted by Western culture, some with unrealistic expectations that expose them to grave disappointments. Unscrupulous traffickers, frequently linked to drug cartels or arms cartels, exploit the weaknesses of migrants, who too often experience violence. Trafficking psychological and physical abuse, and untold sufferings on their journey. Those who emigrate experience separation from their place of origin, and often a cultural and religious uprooting as well. Fragmentation is also felt by the communities they leave behind, which lose their most vigorous and enterprising elements, and by families, especially when one or both of the parents migrates, leaving the children in the country of origin. For this reason, there is also a need to reaffirm the right not to emigrate that is, to remain in one's homeland. Then too, in some host countries, migration causes fear and alarm, often fomented and exploited for political purposes. This can lead to a xenophobic mentality as people close in on themselves, and it needs to be addressed decisively. Migrants are not seen as entitled, like others, to participate in the life of society, and it is forgotten that they possess the same intrinsic dignity as any person. Hence. They ought to be agents in their own redemption. No one will ever openly deny that they are human beings, yet in practice, by our decisions and by the way we treat them, we can show that we consider them less worthy, less important, less human. For Christians, this way of thinking and acting is unacceptable, since it sets certain political preferences above deep convictions of our faith. The inalienable dignity of each human person, regardless of origin race, or religion, and the supreme law of fraternal love. Migrations, more than ever before, will play a pivotal role in the future of our world. At present, however, migration is affected by the loss of that sense of responsibility for our brothers and sisters on which every civil society is based. Europe, for example, seriously risks taking this path. Nonetheless, aided by its great cultural and religious heritage, It has the means to defend the centrality of the human person and to find the right balance between its twofold moral responsibility, to protect the rights of its citizens, and to assure assistance and acceptance to migrants. I realize that some people are hesitant and fearful with regard to migrants. I consider this part of our natural instinct of self-defense. Yet it is also true that an individual and a people are only fruitful and productive, if they are able to develop a creative openness to others. I ask everyone to move beyond those primal reactions because there is a problem when doubts and fears condition our way of thinking and acting to the point of making us intolerant, closed, and perhaps even, without realizing, it, racist. In this way, fear deprives us of the desire and the ability to encounter the other. The illusion of communication Oddly enough, while being closed and intolerant oddly enough, while closed and intolerant attitudes towards others are on the rise, distances are otherwise shrinking or disappearing to the point that the right to privacy scarcely exists. Everything has become a kind of spectacle to be examined and inspected, and people's lives are now under constant surveillance. Digital communication wants to bring everything out into the open. People's lives are combed over, laid bare, and bandied about often anonymously. Respect for others disintegrates, and even as we dismiss, ignore, or keep others distant, we can shamelessly peer into every detail of their lives. Digital campaigns of hatred and destruction for their part are not, as some would have us believe, a positive form of mutual support, but simply an association of individuals united against a perceived common enemy. Digital media can also expose people to the risk of addiction, isolation, and a gradual loss of contact with concrete reality, blocking the development of authentic interpersonal relationships. They lack the physical gestures, facial expressions, moments of silence, body language, and even the smells, the trembling of hands, the blushes, and the perspiration that speak to us and are part of human communication. Digital relationships which do not demand the slow and gradual cultivation of friendships, stable interaction, or the building of a consensus that matures over time, have the appearance of sociability. Yet they do not really build community. Instead, they tend to disguise and expand the very individualism that finds expression in xenophobia and in contempt for the vulnerable. Digital connectivity is not enough to build bridges. It is not capable of uniting humanity. Shameless Aggression Even as individuals maintain their comfortable consumerist isolation, they can choose a form of constant and febrile bonding that encourages remarkable hostility, insults, abuse, defamation, and verbal violence destructive of others, and this with a lack of restraint that could not exist in physical contact without tearing us all apart. Social aggression has found unparalleled room for expansion through computers and mobile devices. This has now given free reign to ideologies. Things that until a few years ago could not be said by anyone without risking the loss of universal respect can now be said with impunity and in the crudest of terms, even by some political figures. Nor should we forget that there are huge economic interests operating in the digital world, capable of exercising forms of control as subtle as they are invasive, creating mechanisms for the manipulation of consciences and for the democratic process, and of the democratic process. The way many platforms work often ends up favoring encounter between persons who think alike, shielding them from debate. These closed circuits facilitate the spread of fake news and false information, fomenting prejudice and hate. We should also recognize that destructive forms of fanaticism are at times found among religious believers, including Christians. They too can be caught up in networks of verbal violence through the internet and the various forms of digital communication, Even in Catholic media, limits can be overstepped, defamation and slander can become commonplace, and all ethical standards and respect for the good name of others can be abandoned. How can this contribute to the fraternity that our common father asks of us? Information without wisdom. True wisdom demands an encounter with reality. Today, however, everything can be created, disguised, and altered. A direct encounter even with the fringes of reality can thus prove intolerable. A mechanism of selection then comes into play, whereby I can immediately separate likes from dislikes, what I consider attractive from what I deem distasteful. In the same way, we can choose the people with whom we wish to share our world. Persons or situations we find unpleasant or disagreeable are simply deleted in today's virtual networks. A virtual circle is then created isolating us from the real world in which we are living. The ability to sit down and listen to others, typical of interpersonal encounters, is paradigmatic of the welcoming attitude shown by those who transcend narcissism and accept others, caring for them and welcoming them into their lives. Yet today's world is largely a deaf world. At times, the frantic pace of the modern world prevents us from listening attentively to what another person is saying. Halfway through, we interrupt him and we want to and want to contradict what he has said, what he has not even finished saying, we must not lose our ability to listen. St. Francis heard the voice of God. He heard the voice of the poor. He heard the voice of the infirm, and he heard the voice of nature. He made of them a way of life. My desire is that the seed that St. Francis planted may grow in the heart of many. As silence and careful listening disappear, replaced by a frenzy of texting, this basic structure of sage human communication is at risk. A new lifestyle is emerging, where we create only what we, might, what we want and exclude all that we cannot control or know instantly and superficially. This process, by its intrinsic logic, blocks the kind of serene reflection that could lead us to a shared wisdom. Together, we can seek the truth in dialogue, in relaxed conversation, or in passionate debate. To do so calls for perseverance. It entails moments of silence and suffering, yet it can patiently embrace the broader experience of individuals and peoples. The flood of information at our fingertips does not make for greater wisdom. Wisdom is not born of quick searches on the Internet, nor is is it a mass of unverified data. That is not the way to mature in the encounter with truth. Conversations revolve only around the latest data. They become merely horizontal and cumulative. We fail to keep our attention focused, to penetrate to the heart of matters, and to recognize what is essential to give meaning to our lives. Freedom thus becomes an illusion that we are peddled, easily confused with the ability to navigate the Internet. The process of building fraternity, be it local or universal, can only be undertaken by spirits that are free and open to authentic encounters. Forms of Subjection and of Self-Contempt Certain economically prosperous countries tend to be proposed as cultural models for less developed countries. Instead, each of those countries should be helped to grow in its own distinct way and to develop its capacity for innovation while respecting the values of its proper culture. A shallow and pathetic desire to imitate others leads to copying and consuming in place of creating and fosters low national self-esteem. In the affluent sectors of many poor countries, and at times in those who have recently emerged from poverty, there is a resistance to native ways of thinking and acting, and a tendency to look down on one's own cultural identity, as if it were the sole cause of every ill. Destroying self-esteem is an easy way to dominate others. Behind these trends that tend to level our world, there flourish powerful interests that take advantage of such low self-esteem while attempting, through the media and networks, to create a new culture in the service of the elite. This plays into the opportunism of financial speculators and raiders, and the poor always end up the losers. Then, too, ignoring the culture of their people has led to the inability of many political leaders to devise an effective development plan that could be freely accepted and sustained over time. We forget that there is no worse form of alienation than to feel uprooted, Belonging to no one. A land will be fruitful, and its people bear fruit and give birth to the future, only to the extent that it can foster a sense of belonging among its members, create bonds of integration between generations and different communities, and avoid all that makes us insensitive to others and leads to further alienation. Hope. Despite these dark clouds, which, I, which may not be ignored, I would like in the following pages to take up and discuss many new paths of hope. For God continues to sow abundant seeds of goodness in our human family. The recent pandemic enabled us to recognize and appreciate once more all those around us who, in the midst of fear, responded by putting their lives on the line. We began to realize that our lives are interwoven with and sustained by ordinary people valiantly shaping the decisive events of our shared history. Doctors, nurses, pharmacists, storekeepers and supermarket workers, cleaning personnel, caretakers, transport workers, men and women working to provide essential services and public safety, volunteers, priests, and religious. They understood that no one is saved alone. I invite everyone to renewed hope, for hope speaks to us of something deeply rooted in every human heart. Independently of our circumstances and historical conditioning hope speaks to us of a thirst an aspiration a longing for life for a life of fulfillment a desire to achieve great things things that fill our heart and lift our spirits to loft to lofty realities like truth goodness and beauty justice and love hope is bold It can look beyond personal convenience, the petty securities and compensations which limit our horizon, and it can open us up to grand ideals that make life more beautiful and worthwhile. Let us continue then to advance along the path, the paths of hope.